up our device. Psalm 37 of David. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be anxious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring the poor, to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, and, but those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never foreseen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. 
but all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that uh, you, you know us, you know our frame, you know our world, you know our circumstances and Lord, we thank you that you speak into those, into, uh, into, into our lives and we ask that now as we reflect on Psalm 37 that you would do that, that you would help us to uh, hear you speak and uh, that you would encourage us uh, to trust in you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, We're coming to the last uh, sermon today in uh, our Summer in the Psalms series. If you want to catch up with any of the sermons that we've uh, been through, uh, you can do that. You can find those on the web. Next week, we'll be kicking off a series on uh, discipleship. And uh, all our growth groups this year will be kicking off the year as well with studies looking at discipleship. Over the last few weeks, uh, we've looked at a number of different things from the Psalms. We've looked at God's vision for Uh, his king and ruler of the world. We've looked at uh, who who human beings are and why God cares about us. We've wrestled with the need for God's mercy. And then last week, we saw God's desire that every person should know him and delight in him. But the psalm that we're looking at today, today deals with this question. How do you feel when you see someone do evil and get away with it? How do you feel when you see someone do evil and, uh, and get away with it? Uh, how do you feel when you see on the news or you read in the newspaper or you see stuff coming up uh, on your Facebook feed, you see something evil and you see that nobody cares or you see that somebody is obviously guilty uh, and, and, and nothing's being done about it? Uh, what do you think about that? What do you think or feel when you see evil winning and when you see uh, good being trampled? Well, Psalm 37 is a psalm that addresses that kind of situation. It addresses a situation where evil looks like it's winning and it tells us how to respond. Uh, Well, how do we live in a world like that? How do we live in a world where it looks like evil's winning? First of all, God says to us, there are two things that we shouldn't do. Two things that we shouldn't do. The first is, verse 1, do not fret. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be anxious uh, or or envious of those who do wrong. Uh, The English word fret uh, suggests a kind kind of a worry or a concern, but it means perhaps something more like worked up. Don't get worked up about those who are evil or even more, don't burn up about those who are evil. Uh, It's the kind of word that's used throughout the Old Testament to refer to God's anger being kindled. Uh, So verse 8 then, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, don't don't burn up, don't get worked up about evil because it leads only to evil. 
Uh, The danger that this psalmist is highlighting is that when we see evil and when we see people getting away with evil, it can make us angry and in particular, it can make us vengeful. And the problem is that we begin to try and take justice into our own hands. We see that kind of thing, I think, all the time on like the sports field. Uh, you, you see people on the footy field, or on the basketball court, taking things into their own hand. You might remember that incident with, earlier last year with uh, the Australian basketball team. You know, and there was this fight. People ended up throwing chairs. It was extraordinary. Uh, and it happens, I think, all the time uh, on, on, the, on the sporting field that we see evil and we get angry about it. Now, I don't, I don't think of myself, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think of myself as the kind of person who easily gets angry at things, not kind of vengeful and angry. But I tell you what, play, playing footy and ice hockey, there were times, even touch footy and stuff like that, there were times when the, the way that people acted on the sports field was just infuriating. They would cheat and they would, they would treat people with contempt, and they'd get away with it. And, it. and it makes you angry, doesn't it? And it's not just on the, on the sporting field. Uh, it can happen too at work. You know, maybe, maybe there's a colleague who gets promoted uh, above you, even though they've cheated and they've lied their way to it. You know, they've taken credit for all the work that you've done. They've, they don't do anything. Or maybe you get into trouble at school, the teacher hauls you aside, you know, and, and you end up on detention somehow, but, but actually you haven't done anything wrong. Someone else has landed you in it, you've taken the blame, and it's not even your fault. And it's so unjust. Maybe you see some new outrage on Facebook uh, or on the news, reading the paper, and you just become furious. But God says to us, don't do it. Don't burn up with anger at evil and at evil people when they seem to succeed because it actually just leads to more evil. It leads to us taking revenge and vengeance. Don't do it. But worry is not the only thing, um, the the only way that we can respond to evil. Verse 1 also says, it says, not only don't, be angry, don't work yourself up about it, but also don't be envious of those who do wrong. So surprisingly, one of the other ways that we can respond to evil is not by being angry about it, but by being envious of it, by being envious of those who do it. Envy is almost the complete opposite of anger. Anger is fury about those people, what they're doing, and envy is saying, well, actually, I wouldn't mind being part of that. And that might seem outrageous that we could be tempted to both, but actually both are equally possible. Because we look at what other people are doing and we think to ourselves, we look at the colleague who's getting ahead by their deception and their cheating and we think to ourselves, maybe I could do that. Maybe that's the best way for me to work. Or we see the other people on the footy field who are being uh, violent and angry and who are cheating and we think, you know what? Maybe that's the way I could play the game as well. Maybe that's the way that I can get ahead. You look at what other people are doing and you wish that you could go with them. You wish that you could do whatever you want or spend your time on whatever you want or your money and your energy on whatever you want rather than having to worry about God. It just seems costly to have to do things God's way. And evil people seem to be getting ahead. So why not just throw in the towel and do what they're doing? 
Maybe you go to school or to work and you hear about other people, uh, how, how the people around you have spent their weekends. You know, parties on, uh, on, on, the weekend, on the weekend nights, getting drunk, taking drugs, sleeping around. You know that it's not right, but actually you find yourself more and more wanting to be part of it. Or maybe you watch a, a film or a TV show and you find yourself to a romantic comedy where someone leaves their marriage to chase their true love. And you find yourself sitting there thinking to yourself, longing for the adventure and the passion and the fun of a new relationship. Or maybe you watch a film and you find yourself wanting, like the character in the film, to take revenge. It seems to work for them, doesn't it? Maybe even you find yourself just getting a bit of a kick out of the violence and the brutality and thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe that would be fun. One of the hypnotic powers, I think, of books and films is that they don't target our heads. They don't convince us with arguments but they compel us with stories. They target our hearts and they leave us wanting the kinds of things that we shouldn't want. And if we're careful, not careful, they can end, us, end up leaving us envious uh, of the wicked. But David says, don't do it. Don't be angry, don't get worked up, and don't be envious. Well, what else do we do instead then? We're not to be angry or not to be envious. David then tells us to take some positive steps. Our default position, if you like, uh, our uh, envy and anger. Uh, but we ought to pursue better things in the place of those. This psalm is full of the kinds of things that we ought to pursue. Here are some of the things we ought to do. Trust, do good, dwell, feed, commit, be still. Wait, refrain, turn, hope, keep, consider, and observe. So first of all, instead of fretting, we should trust. Verse 3, trust in the Lord. We thought about that a few weeks ago in Psalm 6. Uh, I said then that we need to learn to express our trust in God, that we have to not only cry out to God, but also to trust in Him. We need to believe what he says. So God says that he will take care of his people. We need to take him at his word. Uh, God says that he will give us everything that we need for life and godliness. We need to take him at his word when he says that. God says that all his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. We need to take him at his word. God says that he has prepared a better future for those who trust in him. We need to take him at his word. God says that if we confess our sins... Uh, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to take him at his word in that. If we don't take God at his word, then we'll get worked up about evil or we'll become envious of evil. Verse 5 shows another aspect of trust. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. The expression there, commit your way to the Lord, is quite literally, roll your ways onto the Lord. I love that. Roll your ways onto the Lord. The image is of rolling a burden off you onto someone else. So part of trusting is rolling our burdens off us, off our shoulders, onto God's shoulders. When we, 
we roll them off uh, by telling God what those burdens are and then leaving them with him. But so often I think we tend to kind of roll the burden off and then just bring it back a bit. You know, we sort of just push it a little way towards God and then sort of say, well, I might just keep carrying that for a little bit longer. Uh, No need to bother you, God. I'll just take care of that myself. But God's shoulders are broader than ours and how stupid it is to think that we should carry something that's far too heavy for us when to God it's as light as a feather. We should roll our burdens onto him. Verse 7, we should also, it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. So we should be patient and still. I think we're impatient people at the best of times. We live in an impatient world, in an impatient culture. We're impatient at the best of times, let alone when people are carrying out their evil schemes. We're impatient of evil. We're impatient waiting for justice. We see evil and our first instinct is to decry it. We jump on Facebook and unleash a tirade or we write an essay in the, commentary sec- on the, in the comment section, you know, on the, on, the, on the website. We rip off the heads of the people who disagree with us. We become God's crusaders for truth and justice. But what does David say? He says that there's a place for patience. I don't think he means by that, don't work for justice and don't ever speak out. But he's saying, in doing that, we should be patient. We should turn to God before we turn to social media. We should turn to prayer before we start typing in the comments section. At some point, we need to stop and to remember that had Jesus wanted to, he could have stopped the injustices of the Roman Empire in which he lived and he could have taken the throne for himself. But instead, Jesus chose to suffer at the hands of evil. Jesus gave us a model of patience in the face of evil and indeed triumph through patience in the face of evil. So to in verse 34, we are to hope in the Lord. Hope is the other side of waiting patiently. So hope means, hope shows that we're not indifferent to evil. We're not still impatient because we don't care. We're still impatient because we're eagerly longing for God to put an end to evil. Hope says that the world will not always look like this. Hope says, I know that I'm surrounded by evil at the moment, but I know that the day is coming when it won't be like that anymore. Hope says that Jesus is the king, a king who's coming back to rescue those who put their trust in him. So we should trust, roll our burdens onto God, hope in the Lord. But as well as trust, this psalm says we should dwell and feed. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. What does it mean to dwell in the land? Uh, To dwell uh, in the Old Testament, the the land was the place, uh, represented the place where God had promised to be with his people. So to dwell in the land meant to Uh, to stay where God had promised to be with his people and not to stray away from 
at the place where God had promised to look after his people. To dwell meant to stay near God. That's tied up with the expression, enjoy safe pasture, which sounds quite passive actually, but it means something more like feed on. So the idea is is of sheep grazing. They're grazing in a pasture. What are they feeding on? Well, it's not just safety, but actually what they're feeding on is faithfulness and truth. In other words, the idea here is to stay near God, to feed on him, to feed on his word and the faithfulness and truth of God. So to protect ourselves from anger and from envy, we need to stay near God. We need to feed on the faithfulness and truth that we find in the Bible. We need to keep reminding ourselves of the truth of who God is, the truth of what God has done in Jesus, the truth that God is in control, the truth that God will triumph. We need to feed on those things. We even need to feed on the truth that this side of Jesus' return will suffer. As Christians will suffer, we need to feed on that truth because we need to know that that suffering is not the end but that God will vanquish evil as he has done on the cross and will destroy it when Jesus comes again. We need to feed on those truths. Otherwise, we'll be envious uh, and angry with evil. Verse 4, we should also delight in God. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we're delighting in God, then, then there is no place for envy of evil, is there? Because our greatest joy is in God himself. Why would you envy evil when you can have God? Or why would you be angry with evil when you're so full of the goodness and the glory of God? As well as uh, trust and delight, uh, we should also do good. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 27, turn from evil and do good. Verse 34, keep his way. One of the ways that we endure evil is by pursuing good in the place of evil. Uh, We live in a world of activism where the aim so often is to make the world good. But that's an impossible task, actually. Uh, It's an impossible task for us as human beings and certainly as individuals to make the world good. But if we saddle people with that responsibility, we'll crush them. The idea that individuals can change the world is a Western conceit. People who are being bombed to death in Syria have no problem disbelieving the idea that individuals can change the world. It's just outside their paradigm. The man who wrote this psalm, let's not forget, was the king of a nation, David. And yet even he can say, even he is aware of his limited ability to change the world for the better. This psalm suggests that the response to evil is not to make the world good, but to do good ourselves in the places where God has put us. So we might not be able to change the world, but we can work by God's grace to make sure that our lives are outposts of goodness in a broken world. Jesus says that people are like seasoning or like salt. That is, there's only a little bit of them but they have an effect, an outsized effect. Of course, by God's grace, he can put some of us in places where we can do a good that might have a large effect on a significant number of people. But, you know, most of us will live lives, uh, to borrow from uh, George Eliot, 
lives that are spent in small channels with no great name upon the earth. That is, we'll be unrecognized. We will live unhistoric lives and be buried in unremembered tombs. But irrespective of that, what this psalm says is, wherever God has put us, our obligation is to focus on doing good there. Rather than crusading against every evil and trying to do the impossible and make the world good through our Herculean efforts, we need to do good where God has placed us. So we shouldn't fret, we shouldn't be angry, we shouldn't be envious. Uh, Instead, we should trust God and delight in God and wait patiently and hopefully. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Uh, It's hard to do that. So in order to do that, David uh, helps us to do that. He says that to do that, we need to reorient our perspective using God's perspective. And in particular, we need to reorient our perspective by reminding ourselves of the different destinies that await the evil and the righteous. So verse 37, he says, Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace but all sinners will be destroyed, there will be no future for the wicked. So as well as hoping and trusting and all those things, we are to consider and to observe. We are to observe and consider that while a future awaits those who trust God, those who reject God will be destroyed. There's two different outcomes, there's two different destinies. And that contrast is drawn out all the way through this psalm. So verse 2, we shouldn't fret or be envious of those who do wrong because like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Or verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Their own evil will come down on their own heads. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, there's so many of them, they will be consumed, they will go up in smoke. We don't need to be furious and vengeful because God will bring justice. We don't need to take up ending every single evil. We don't need to take that up into our own hands because God will do that. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. When we see evil, we need to remind ourselves that God is the one who will bring it to account. In fact, listen to what the book of Proverbs says about that. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In other words, the way to respond to evil is with kindness. Why is that? Well, the motivation is in the next verse because in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So too, Paul, just before quoting that passage in Romans 12 says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. We don't need to burn up with anger when we see evil. We can trust God because we know that God means to bring evil to an end. And we certainly shouldn't be envious of evil because God means to bring evil to an end. The days of evil is numbered. 
Uh, but just as there's this used-by date for evil then, there's also a victory date or a deliverance date or a hope for those who trust in God. Uh, not only does wickedness end in judgment, but trusting and delighting God ends in deliverance and rescue. So David urges us to delight in God. Why? Because if we do, verse 4, he will give you the desires of your heart. There's this wonderful promise here that when we delight in God, he will give us what we desire. But here's the thing, if what we desire and delight in is God, then the gift that God is speaking about giving to us is God himself. If we delight in God and God gives us the desires of our heart, then what God will give us is nothing other than himself. If we trust in him, verse 6, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Then in verse 9, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. According to verse 11, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. That's the promise that Jesus takes up in the Sermon on the Mount. But there he expands that promise from just a little parcel of land in the Middle East to the whole earth. Those who trust in the Lord will inherit the whole earth, the whole universe, the whole world made new. And on it goes, verse 17, the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 37, consider the blameless, observe the upright, a future awaits those who seek peace. Rather than getting worried or being angry about evil or becoming envious of those who do evil, we need to remind ourselves of what God will do for those who trust in him, of what God will do for those who pursue the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. We need to remind ourselves that even if it's tough at the moment, that God means to do us good. We need to remind ourselves that evil can't win. God wins. Nowhere is that clearer than in the death and the resurrection of Jesus because in Jesus' death, humanity through every evil that we could conceive against God. And yet what happened was that God triumphed over it by rising from the dead. God wins. We don't have to win. God will win for us. We need to remind ourselves of the fate that awaits the wicked versus the fate that awaits those who trust God and who pursue goodness and righteousness. It's important to say, I think, before we finish, that those two destinies, for the righteous and for the wicked, are destinies that are not for those who are perfect versus those who are incredible monsters. But the two destinies that this psalm portrays are for those who trust in God and for those who don't trust in God. You see, according to the Bible, actually, we're all sinners and all deserving of God's judgment. And the problem is that if God is to remove and conquer the evil in the world, then he needs to remove us. But the good news of the gospel is that if we trust in God through Jesus, then God forgives us and cleans up the evil within each of us. We become blameless and righteous through Christ. Whereas if we don't trust in God, 
then God leaves us in our evil and he removes the evil from the world by removing and condemning us. So we can either trust in God and know that God has a great future for us with him in the world put right, or we can reject God and face the fate of the wicked. Well, if you are in Christ and you know him, then be encouraged that you don't need to be angry or envious because God means to end evil both in the world and in you. But if you don't know Jesus, then now is a great time to consider the destiny of those who don't follow Christ. Two outcomes. Consider Jesus and the future that awaits those who trust him. And consider the future that awaits those who don't trust in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we live in a world that is uh, rent by evil. And Lord, uh, every day it's, it's in our faces. Uh, Lord, we see the evil around us on the news uh, and in the papers. Lord, we see it in our lives, in, in, the, in the people around us. But Lord, to be honest, we see it within us as well. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to put our trust in you, that you have a solution for evil, that your solution is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, who came baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire, who came, Lord, in order to clean up those who trust in him and to destroy those who refuse to turn to him. Lord, those are hard truths, but we know that apart from your mercy and judgment, that there's no end to evil. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to put our trust in you in the face of great evil. We pray that you'd help us not to be angry or to be worked up. We pray, pray that you'd help us not to be envious, help us not to take matters into our own hands, but to do good and to trust in you where you have placed us. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.